What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John Dostromsky. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, the ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome. It is the Ringer Friday show. I'm Ben Solak, as always, prepping to walk you through the weekend that is NFL action, week 11 already. Joined, as always, by the illustrious and inimitable Stephen Ruiz and Kalen Jones, both of whom I'm sure greatly enjoyed uh, the Mac Jones show that was Thursday Night Football. Just a true barn burner of a game. I, I really feel like we, we had generally sidestepped really bad primetime games until last night that was the first one where i was like ah there is no reason to watch this football game yeah like the the patriots are fun to watch right now just because of how physical they are but they're not fun in the traditional ways like that passing game was not fun last night and the game as a whole ended up not being fun as a result like when the winning team that dominates the game isn't playing offense in a fun manner it's not going to be an enjoyable game I think that's the oldest you've ever sounded. Oh, they're fun because they're, oh, they're physical. Oh, they have to play the game the right way. No, yeah, I but I also was like, I, I didn't like it because I want to see them throw the ball, the ball downfield. I just want to see long bombs. Is that is that so hard to ask? Ah, and the truth behind the Justin Herbert frustration comes out. It's all just about what's aesthetically pleasing to you. Um, Kalen, Patriots, playoffs, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I picked them to make the playoffs before the season started. And, I mean, even – even assuming like Mac Jones would have been the starter, you know, you're betting on Josh McDaniels, um, Bill Belichick, the coaching staff really, and the elevation of talent within that roster to get them there. So they're seven and four right now, right on the Bills' heels. Yeah. Playoffs. <laughs> I uh, I did a great great professional podcaster job, which is I thought the Falcons were playing pretty well on offense, and I kind of talked about it a little bit, but I only like said it like in a couple places really quietly, really quickly. And then they've had the two worst games of their season in back-to-back weeks. I'm like, all right, good. Generally dodged that bullet. So long as you don't write a piece about it, you're okay. Uh, yeah, so Patriots beat the Falcons like 25 to nothing or something. I don't freaking remember. There were a bunch of picks at the end. Josh Rosen got to play. It was a good time. Uh, that game was ugly. Hopefully this week will not be ugly. We start as always with our games of the week. It is actually a very fun slate. We picked two games we wanted to focus on. The first one obviously jumps off the page. That is Cowboys at Chiefs, which preseason we would have said is probably going to be a matchup of two of the most fun offenses. Uh, and I think that still is the case. Steven, this is yours, but the best offense in this game isn't the one we expected. We would have said it was Kansas City. It is Dallas. You wrote uh, one of my favorite pieces of the season so far this year on what Dak and Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator, are doing in Dallas. What makes this offense so fun, so special? I'm going to say that I feel like they're the new version of the Chiefs where it's like, how do we stop all these weapons and stop all these things they do? Like It's mm-hmm. like a sick game of whack-a-mole where you're always going to lose. And the reason why they they obviously don't have Pat Mahomes at quarterback, but they have the mental version of Pat Mahomes, I'd say. The new Peyton Manning, the like the best quarterback at the line of scrimmage, the guy who orchestrates everything for the offense, Dak Prescott, and having him having that brain at the center of the offense allows them to basically do whatever they need to do to win that week. Like I I was listening to a lot of Kellen Moore press conferences while writing this piece. And 
one stuck out to me. It was after the Panthers game, and he talked about how the run game wasn't working at first, and they kind of figured things out in the second half and started uh, getting good gains. And he was saying going into the week, just because of the circumstances of the Panthers' first three games, they didn't really know how they were going to be able to run the ball on them. I don't know what he meant by that. Maybe it's just the level of uh, offenses they were facing those first three weeks. Well, who, who, were, who were their opponents those first few weeks? The Jets, uh, the Texans, and the Saints. I don't okay. know if there's a common ground between yeah. those. I think it was just that the, the games were blowouts and they were up big at the beginning right. of all of them. But he said, like, as the game went along, they adjusted. They found out how they found how they were going to run. It was mostly by attacking the C and D gaps because the Panthers were leaving them light. They were playing three. They were covering up the center and guards. Mm. They were playing a lot of bare fronts. And then that that was just like a light bulb moment for me. And it was just like he comes into the – it's like Belichick on defense. Like he comes into the week, figures out how to attack a defense, what their weakness is, how they're going to defend certain looks. He gets in those looks early on, gathers more information. And in the second half, he has a bunch of shot plays dialed up where he can he – can, he knows how you're going to defend this formation. And if you defend it that way, he's going to do another play that takes advantage of it. And they do this every week, and they continue to build on these different formational packages and personnel packages that throw defenses off. And now, like at week 10, it's just this like growing, living playbook, and I think it's just going to get better as the season goes on. So I want to ask then, up against a, C- a Steve Spagnolo defense, which has generally been settling in over the last few weeks, right? Pretty much like that, that first half of the Titans game struggled, had some short fields, but since then they've been playing really, really good football consistently. And what Spags does to you is not not dissimilar to what the Panthers do. Not so much in the run game problem, because not really running bare fronts, but he's going to put a lot of guys up at the line of scrimmage. He's going to threaten to blitz with a bunch of different dudes. He's going to have safeties back there. Tyron Matthew, Juan Thornhill, they can play a bunch of different roles. He's going to move and change stuff around. And so is this the sort of defense that has an answer to this offense where okay you want to be very multiple on offense well we're going to be very multiple on defense and see if we can win the confusion battle or does it need to be just a a defense that's so talented that they can just sit and play in the same stuff every single time what's the answer here is it spags this week or is it something else down the road no i don't think it's spags and part of the reason is i think this improvement by the chiefs i think the defense has been better but i think it's a little fake having like dug into it the last couple weeks they're just as bad on early downs as they were before. They're not giving up as many explosive runs, but like in terms of EPA and success rate, they're marginally improved. The big improvement has come on third down, where all of a sudden they are sixth in EPA allowed over the last uh, four weeks, I guess, week seven through 10, and fifth in success rate allowed. On early downs, they're still at like bottom third numbers. And what they've been doing is playing a lot of cover two. They disguise it well. They come to the line, put a lot of people on, make it look like they're going to blitz, play some of those cover zero uh, blitzes. They do sometimes from time to time, but most of the time they're rotating to cover two. My problem is if you have to play that certain way, and they've been playing a a lot of cover two over the last month against Dak Prescott and Kellen Moore, they're going to figure it out early on. They probably already have a great plan for it, and they're going to exploit it. I posted a clip on Twitter. uh, The Raiders played quads, a formation the Cowboys use a lot. The Chiefs' answer to that was Tampa 2, straight up Tampa 2. I guarantee you Kellen Moore has like a whole section of his playbook marked off for, with Tampa 2 beaters. They're going to have a plan to exploit that if that's how they answer. And that's how they've had to play because of their uh, personnel limitations. I am big on quads as the next like nightmare thing. right? Quads, you're, you're basically 
putting four receivers to one side of the formation and then putting leaving one on the backside. And that Raiders play, Darren Waller's that backside receiver. Really tough to be like, yeah, just put one guy over there and then put everybody else on this four receiver side. Yeah, that's not when it's Darren Waller. That feels very scary. Uh, but then all of a sudden you have a numbers advantage on the opposite side. Right. And that play you're talking about, like Darren Waller's on that side and then you push the numbers to the right side and you end up with Brian Edwards on Anthony Hitchens. Now imagine if that's CeeDee Lamb on Anthony right. Hitchens running down the middle of the field. Not good. The uh, the Cowboys offensively, Kalen, are facing uh, like they've got a, a good two headed backfield in Zeke and in Pollard. Uh, they've got a great you know three guys at receiver: Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb. But this is probably uh, the last year we'll see that all together. Gallup's approaching a contract year. Uh, Zeke's starting to get to the point in his contract where his contract is really big. And obviously Pollard's played very well this year. They have two tight ends in Dalton Schultz and Blake Jarwin. I believe Schultz is eligible for an extension. I, I'm pretty sure he's not. He's, he's approaching a contract year. Uh, is this like the window for the Cowboys? Or, they, or do you think that they're able to keep this whole offense together, keep enough talent on the field that they can become this perennial offensive powerhouse? So that's the thing. I mean, Jerry Jones absolutely believes it's the window. Um, I remember, I mean, if anyone was watching Hard Knocks at all, you know, that that intro um, to the preseason when they were down um, in Southern California for training camp. I mean, Jerry Jones was sitting at, you know, his presser crying about how special he thinks this team is and how legit, like, there was a legitimate thought in his brain and even in Stephen Jones's head that this was a Super Bowl contending team. And at the time, you're probably like, okay, well, you know, you have a great quarterback, you have a special offense, but – you know, the defense was a big question mark, but Ben, like you mentioned, like all of those pieces, you know, surrounding Dak Prescott and for Dak to be as cerebral and as talented as he is this year to play at this kind of level. And mm -hmm. I mean, we, we don't know the status of the offensive line. We don't know if you know the play will ever fall off for everything to be like all their position groups to be playing as well as they are right now. This is probably the best window that they have, especially when you consider the parity you know, maybe more so in the AFC, but when you consider the parity and the fact that they've been able to show that they can contend at a high level within the NFC, this is that window. And so I, I do think that they need to capitalize before, you know, you end up having to make financial decisions on a lot of younger players who are going to be up for extensions and whatnot. But, you know, Jerry Jones believed in it. I mean, I watched him cry on stage when he, when he was down here in California. I was like, wow, this is a very emotional man, but now I see why. Uh, it's crazy to think that this team was like in a contract dispute with Dak like less than a calendar year ago. <laughs> what were you guys doing, man? It could have well, been. Well, they, they got through it really quickly. <laughs> I gave them credit for getting through it. Like I thought it was going to drag into the season. They got it done. And now you see why. Because Stephen Jones was talking up Dak. And you're saying they're like, yeah, yeah. Dak's pretty good. But they did the, the whole year. like. Uh, oh, you don't, you don't, if you look at teams that win Super Bowls, they don't have more than 13% of their cap with their quarterback. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Total hokum, complete nonsense. Yeah. Um, yeah, they pay Dak. Uh, okay, so if you can't, you can't stop them, outscore them. So on Sunday night, Kansas City scores 40-42 against the, the Las Vegas Raiders. Kalen, Chiefs offense back. We don't do buying or selling until the second segment, but is this offense good enough over the hump, where it needs to be, that if they're in a shootout with Dallas, you trust them to win? Uh, no, I sell that. I trust them to win it. Um, I think it was a very important get-right game, you know, for the Chiefs to go up against a Raiders team that had been giving them fits, that seemed to figure out an answer for them over the course of the past year or so. Um, but no, I, I mean, 
the Raiders to, I mean, despite, you know, having Yannick Ngakwe, Max Crosby, they, they didn't generate the type of pressure that I was expecting them to get. Um, and their secondary was just horrible. Like that, that's been a bugaboo for the Raiders for a minute and they're back and just didn't have really any answer for Kelsey and Hill, which kind of was surprising to me because over the past couple of years they had, uh, Dan Quinn comes from the same coaching background as Gus Bradley does, right? Gus Bradley's out here running cover three until the yep. cows come home against the Chiefs. It did not go well. Every team before this is like, we're going to run cover two. We're going to run two man. We're going to mug up Kelsey. We're going to put two safeties deep. It's going to be great. And Gus Bradley was like, I'm going to run cover three, baby. It's going to go well. And he gave up 40 points. Dan Quinn does the same, John. All right? It's cover one. It's more cover one in Dallas. They run more man. But it is single mm-hmm. high stuff. Uh, the, the prayer, the supplication... <laughs> is that he learns from his predecessor's mistakes last week and decides to to play more too high. The problem is, I'm not sure personnel-wise they have the guys to do it. You look at the safety room, and it's like Malik Hooker. That's a center-fielding safety. Uh, it's Jerron Curse and DeMonte Casey. Those are box safeties. Yeah. Like, it is tough to split those guys. Just like and, the Raiders with Abram. Right. And then you have, like, at least the Raiders are, like, not blitzing, right? Because we've seen just teams don't blitz Mahomes. The the Cowboys blitz more than the Raiders do because they, they feel like they got to to support their pressure in that way. Uh, Steven, any chance Dallas gets into the right defensive stuff to stop the Chiefs? Or is this just another instance in where schematically Seattle cover three guy is going to Seattle cover three and he's going to he's going to screw his own team accordingly? No, I, I trust Dan Quinn. After having watched the film of their defense the last couple of weeks, I think they do enough different things where – it's not going to be a situation where he's Gus Bradley and he's like, I play cover three every week and I'm going to keep doing it. Like we've seen Dan Quinn throw change up, change ups at offenses. And mm-hmm. there's no reason for me to believe he's not going to do it against one of the best offenses we've ever seen. So I'm expecting different things. I don't know if it's going to be too high necessarily, but I think even if they play single high or cover three, they're going to do it in certain ways that make it kind of, you get the benefits of cover two. Like I think they're going to play top down and put a roof over uh, the passing game, I don't think they're going to let them get in behind. And that's something the Raiders were letting uh, the Chiefs do. And I would say, and this isn't a hot take or anything, like the Cowboys obviously have better personnel on defense. And that makes, even if you do play cover three, that makes it a lot easier to defend the Chiefs. We've seen cover three base defenses work against the Chiefs, even when they were at their height. The first time they played Seattle, Pete Carroll, I would say he got the better of Patrick Mahomes. I think the Chiefs still won, but it was a close game. Uh, We've seen Gus Bradley even have some success, a measure of success, when he was with the Chargers and he had better personnel. So I'm not even concerned if they do come out and play a lot of cover three. It depends on how they play that cover three. Like, cover three is not the same in Dallas like it is in Indianapolis. Like, you can play it different. You could play it where the second level is dropping a little deeper and you're daring Mahomes. Are you going to do it two weeks in a row? Are you going to take the easy throws? two weeks in a row I think that was the big difference between the first nine weeks and the Raiders game Mahomes was throwing underneath is he going to do it a second week in a row I think that's the bet you take if you're Dan Quinn that he's not and you play those type of soft coverages and just make sure you take away the deep stuff okay so then I think right these are this is all been very good but I have like a I have a qualm now which is I think it's clear where we all stand on this game in terms of Cowboys offensive advantage, Chiefs defensive resurgence, maybe not as, as good as we think it is. Chiefs offense looked great against the Raiders, but maybe that's a little bit of a paper tiger, whatever. The The Chiefs are favored in this game by two and a half points. Why? Do we just think that that's just straight wrong? Like, uh, what what is it here? Like, if I tell you right now, like, Kalen, Chiefs won by three. I'm telling you the results of the game. 
what happened? Like, what is it that that we're missing here that maybe books and the and the public is more on? Um, I mean, maybe like Stephen's saying, like you you expect Patrick Mahomes to be a little bit more aggressive as a passer, and maybe like the Chiefs' offense to try to you know push the ball a little bit more deep. But if they lean on that running game, if you know they try to hit everything short, maybe they hit a few you know big yak plays here and there. I mean. I could see it. I just don't know if the defense has enough juice, like they're either forcing the turnovers or, you know, the offense to stay on the field long enough to keep Dak Prescott from having it. But that that's really the only pathway I could see is like if they force enough turnovers or somehow manage the clock and milk it all the way down to where Dak just doesn't touch it. Steven, same question. Yeah. Yeah. My theory, like, I think the Cowboys are the better team, like coming out of this week of preparation for this podcast and studying these two teams over the last couple of days. The light bulb went on for me, and I was like, oh, the Cowboys are a Super Bowl. Like, I think the Cowboys are a Super Bowl contender. Because mm-hmm. I just look at the two teams, and I'm like, the Cowboys are, like, clearly better. But I'm picking the Chiefs to win this game. And I'm picking them to win because oh. it's at it's at Arrowhead. I think if it was on a neutral field, the Cowboys would win. I think if it was at Dallas, the Cowboys would win decisively. But I think it's going to be a close game here. And I do think the crowd noise is going to matter in this game because Dak Prescott is a guy who control, likes to control things at the line of scrimmage. If he can't hear, like the players can't hear him and the communication's bad, I don't know if it's going to be at the level that we're used to. So I think that could be a factor, the fact that it's in Kansas City. And I think that's the big reason why they're favored in this game. And that's the reason why I'm picking them. I mean, yeah, they're, they're 9.1 adjusted net yards per attempt at home, 7.8 away. Prescott's a 118.2 rating home, 101.1 away. So, like, he's definitely worse away, but he's still really freaking good away. But I think you know? <laughs> I think Kansas City is a different beast. Like, that stadium is different. Like, they set records with how loud they are. Uh, I will That's say this point. year, yeah, away underdogs are 55-35-1 and one, uh, against the spread uh, so far this year. Or, excuse me. Yeah, against the spread so far this year, 55-35-1. That's 61%, and that is the Cowboys this week. Uh, I'm taking the Cowboys. I think that they're a good enough team. I'm w- more worried about their defense against the Chiefs' offense than I think you guys are, just in terms of, like, I would not be surprised if Dan Quinn's like, we play cover one, baby, and, like, that doesn't go too well. Um, but I-, I think that if the Cowboys – I think Dak's able to control and is able to throw the ball over the yard. But if they need to become heavy personnel, run the ball, sit on it, leave Mahomes on the sideline, they can uh, and that's the thing to me that I think splits is like if this is a one possession game late, it's back and forth. Once the Cowboys get the ball with the lead, they can shut this thing down. And I don't think Kansas City has that ability on the other side of the ball. So to me, it's Cowboys. Kalen? Yeah, I got the Cowboys too. I, I And, you know, to again, like the, the idea that the Chiefs offense might, you know, slip up here and there. You know, you're going up against the Cowboys defense. It doesn't have Demarcus Lawrence, doesn't have Randy Gregory coming off mm-hmm. the edge. And I think that'll play a significant part in allowing the Chiefs to stay in it. But ultimately, like you said, Ben, like the Cowboys offense is so amorphous and successful, like able to successfully do different things that, you know, come crunch time, like when they need to, they're going to be able to milk out the clock or, you know, find a way to generate any explosive plays at any time. So you guys are discounting the, the impact of not having Daniel Sorensen on the field for 70 snaps a game anymore. <laughs> Steven is what Steven's doing is Steven is accounting for the impact of just fading me and Kalen. Cause every time he lone wolf said he's right so far in this podcast, yeah, like just, undefeated. It's just, it's just good karma for the, the, the poor cancellation record as we will discuss. Uh, okay. Our second game of the week, uh, another, huge playoff implication game just with i think uh two teams that weren't as ex- uh, weren't as explosive of offense at least coming into the season that's the indianapolis colts against the buffalo bills kalen this one belongs to you 
Uh, Colts 5-5, five and five, trying to claw their way back in the AFC South. Tennessee Titans without Derrick Henry. There's still a window there. They get a Bills team that is just dominated against really bad teams. And accordingly, it's a, a tricky team to calibrate to. What do you expect? What are you looking for? We can expect madness. Um, I mean, this is from NFL, you know, in their little newsletter this week. They, they put the stat in back-to-back weeks, four teams that entered the weekend, 500 below, defeated opponents that began a week with at least a share of first place in their divisions. Right. And those eight such wins, 500 below against first place clubs, uh, the most in, through weeks nine and 10 in a single season since the doggone merger in 1970. And so, of course, this matchup is a five and five Colts team, you know, middling, trying to climb back in the AFC South race against a division leader in the Buffalo Bills. So I definitely think it's a must win for both teams. I mean, the Titans, like you said, Ben, they're eight and two, easiest schedule left. Uh, the Bills still have the Patriots uh, literally breathing behind their neck at this point, seven and four. So you can't really afford to drop any matchups. But I want to focus on the Colts because, I mean, the big question for me is like, can they quit self-destructive behaviors? Because they've beaten mm-hmm. a lot of bad teams in the games that they've lost, you know, notably in my head, like the Ravens. Uh, and then again, like that Titans matchup a few weeks ago, they've had self-destructive moments. Um, and really should be on a seven-game win streak. Carson Wentz only has three interceptions, eighth in turnover-worthy play rate, tied 10th fewest among quarterbacks with 10 total turnover-worthy plays total. And, I mean, on paper, that's great. You're like, okay, like Carson Wentz is finally not turning over the football, but the problem is the moments in which he's made those plays are just super catastrophic and ultimately undo them. They're 4-1 when they don't turn the ball over. Last time that Carson Wentz faced – a Sean McDermott defense was October 2019, helped Philly win 31-13. That was the most points that Buffalo allowed that season. The problem is I'm not too encouraged by Carson Wentz being able to do the same thing with this um, Colts offense, especially after last week. He only had two completions beyond 10 yards, 5.78 out, 3-12 for 27 yards when pressured. And guess who leads the league in pressure rate? Buffalo Bills, 30.6%. Yeah. Bills defense is good at generally everything. I mean, that's credit to Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott. Uh, a lot of continuity within that defense. I know they have Greg Russo c- coming off the edge now, but really he's only the new start, like the only starter, I guess, that you'd say is new to that lineup. And so there aren't too many weaknesses due to that continuity. Um, I guess the one point that I did write down that you could look at is, you know, they're 18th, Buffalo's 18th in run stop win rate. And I mean, even when you watch them play, you're not like, oh my God, they're atrocious at stopping the run. Uh, but Starlo Tulele is probably going to be out due to COVID protocols, so they're going to be lighter inside. Mm-hmm. The Colts have, you know, Jonathan Taylor is kind of, to me, what Justin Herbert is to Steven. I think Taylor, you know, since, you know, I think Taylor might be the best running back in the league. There it I is, mean, baby. Nick, he was trying Nick, to dance around it. He, he was, was trying. Nick, Nick Chubb, I mean, I, I love Nick Chubb, and Derrick Henry is not on the field to kick me upside the head when I say this take, so... I'm, I'm saying it. Jonathan Taylor is kind of the skeleton for the Colts going into this. 15 yards after contact, second in yards per carry, league high 24 10 yard carries. Um, he might give he he gives the Colts a chance to hang around in this because ultimately you need to keep Carson Wentz from making any boneheaded mistakes. And if they can somehow get the run game going, if they can keep uh, the ball out of Josh Allen's hand then I think the Colts have a chance in this, but that was really the matchup that intrigued me the most going into this. That uh, that 
Carson Wentz only two passing attempts beyond ten yards that against the Jaguars is hilarious. I think that's the first time that's the the first time in my entire life where I've heard a quarterback didn't throw the ball downfield and I was like, That might be good. Like that might be good news for his development in terms of how Wentz is, right. is playing. It's kinda nice to see him maybe just let the offense work for itself a little bit. Uh since week seven. Carson Wentz has nine turnover-worthy plays. That's tied for the league lead uh, from PFF as a percentage of his plays. Uh, that is fifth in the league, along with Cooper Rush, Jordan Love, Mike White, Colt McCoy, and Russell Wilson. Just a little, little, little fun nice. one to sneak in there as well. Um, but obviously not, not great company to be in, and it does feel a little bit walking on egg Shelley, just in terms of, of, of how their offense has been the last few weeks in the passing game and i think the, the running game has been to their advantage weakness for the bills defensively under mcdermott has always been we want to be too high we want to play too high we're going to play with two linebackers on the field in edmonds and milano we're going to do that forever uh, and so if you go heavy personnel on us saran neal's coming into the box is our third safety right micah high jordan poyer's coming into the box we're going to get teron johnson the nickel and the run fit and then you can run the ball on that because that's light, right? And without Star Lotulay, like you brought up, that's a big disadvantage in the interior front. Steven, Colts run the ball all over the Bills, win the game? We buying that? No, unfortunately okay. not because of the Bills. I love how they play defense. Like they play, it's not flashy, but they're going to get you in a third and long eventually on a drive. And then that's when you're going to mess up. And guess who is really willing to mess up? Carson Wentz. Like yeah. every time. If, when you watch this team for the last couple of weeks, every time they get in, in like a must-pass situation, it's like the Colts coaching staff, for good reason, it's like they're deathly afraid of Carson Wentz getting to drop back. And I feel like every time he looks at his first read and doesn't throw it, like the whole sideline is just like, oh, no, what is going to happen next? Mm-hmm. I haven't watched many Colts games live, but I've seen them on red zone a bunch, and it seems like every time they cut in on red zone, Carson Wentz is trying to throw the ball while he's getting sacked and trying to turn the ball over. I've seen him throw two left-handed passes this this yeah. season. I was going to say, if there's a stat for leading the league in passes with your non-throwing hand, it's just him and, and <laughs> Mahomes up there. Yeah. But the Mahomes thing feels more okay. For and some Mahomes completes those passes. <laughs> yeah. Carson Wentz doesn't, or he, he completes them to the other team sometimes. But, yeah, that's the issue. I think it is a good matchup on the other side of the ball for the Colts, though. I will say that. All right. Why do we think that? If you look at, like, Josh Allen's splits this year are so damn weird. Like, mm-hmm. we expected regression from last year, but where did we expect the regression? We expected him not to be so good under pressure. He's been better under pressure this year, and we expected him not to hit on deep balls at, at a high rate again, like he did last year. He's hitting deep balls at a higher rate this year. He's been better on deep balls. He's averaging 18 yards per attempt on passes over 20 yards. Last year was 13 yards per attempt. He's even better, but he's worse at short passes and intermediate passes. His accuracy has gone down. His production has gone down. He's been worse in a clean pocket. Like he's like been an average quarterback in a clean pocket this year. And I do think the Colts, I hate how they play defense, but when you're talking about a guy that's struggling to hit receivers underneath and living on the deep balls, I feel like the Colts approach to defense is the perfect. That's how you want to play defense against this type of offense. And their run defense is pretty good. They're second in DVOA. I think they don't get enough credit for that. Yeah, I, I agree with that in general. What the worry for me is is the, the health in the defensive backfield because structurally, yes, 
but also like they're playing Andrew Sandejo and Josh Jones at safety, yeah, right? That's, because that's of the injuries that they've had. Uh, pulling up their Thursday injury report, corner TJ Carey returned to practice on Thursday as a full participant, which is a very big deal uh, yep. because Xavier Rhodes has still been a limited participant with a calf over the last two days. We don't know what he did on Friday. So they were potentially going to be playing uh, Isaiah Rogers at outside corner if Carey and Rhodes couldn't go. Now you're able to get Carey out there. But Rocky Sin still your other corner and like, Rock has not really been a, a, a great player over his young career for the Colts. He's a guy you can take advantage of. So if you can just like sit in zone and rock it, that's great. But generally, zone coverage works best when you look at the other side of the ball and you see the Bills and you see continuity, right? Tredavious White, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, uh, Teron Johnson, Levi Wallace. They've all been there for three years. They've all played together a ton. Put Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano in there as well, and you have so much continuity. You have so much understanding, the ability to overlap, the ability to relate, to know what's yeah. coming, to, to to interact with each other. Zone coverage is very much about harmony. It's very much about chemistry. Colts are dealing with a lot of injuries, a lot of veterans or uh, off-the-street veterans, guys who are one-year dudes coming into the system and playing with backups. They haven't played together. They haven't interacted together. And that, like, it, it looks good on paper, but whenever I see those sorts of injuries, that's what concerns me. And that's why I think the Colts passing defense has been not as good this year across the board is because they've just dealt with so much turnover in the defensive backfield. No, I think that's a good point. And you can really see a difference between how the Bills play zone defense and how the Colts play de- uh, zone right. defense. Like the windows are, t- are tighter. The lines between the second level and the third level of the defense are tighter and they make more sense based on how the offense is running their routes. I think this is going to be a game plan that looks like the playoff game last year, which came down to Josh Allen creating. And mm-hmm. honestly, I think that's how you have to play this team. You have to make Josh Allen into this playmaker and hope that he isn't be able to pull off these crazy plays. He was able to pull them off in the playoff game last year. I do think he'll be able to pull them off this year because, like you said, they are dealing with injuries. I just think it's going to be enough to keep the Bills offense at bay where they're scoring 25 points instead of 35 points. I do want to ask this because the it's funny, like the, the Titans have been this really exciting and, and, and very surprising team down the middle stretch of the season. The win against the Bills kind of launched that that ascent, right? Um, but the Bills are still sitting there with a, a chance to get the first round by, a chance to get that precious first seed in the AFC. We have to remember now with the, the, the new playoff structure, only one team in each conference gets the AFC. Right now, Bills have a 9% chance for that first round by. If they win, it goes up to 12%, 13%. But if you look at what the Bills have faced in their record, in their strength of opponent so far this year, it's terrifying. Uh, this from SH, SH8 Model, which is a, a sports handicapper. They have their, their power rankings. The Bills' opponent this year in terms of strength has been like facing the Atlanta Falcons every single week. <laughs> okay, now think about what we saw with the Falcons on Thursday night and imagine playing that every single week. They have faced the easiest schedule of offenses and the easiest schedule of defenses. And so in this game... Uh, if, if we had the Bills who, like, they lost to the Jaguars, and that was embarrassing, and then they went and they beat up on the Jets, and that's expected. This is like a, a middling Colts team. This is like a fringe playoff Colts team. Kalen, if the Bills lose to this team, are we at the point where we're like, the Bills might be a paper tiger? They might be a team that just had a good schedule, won, won off the, their talent, and they weren't really tested coming into the playoffs. Is that a concern? No, it's not necessarily a concern. I, I think the bigger concern, again, would be you know, wh- whether or not Josh Allen – is performing, you know, within the structure of plays that you need him to, like taking the easy stuff. Like the fact that, you know, the like Stephen pointing out the fact that he's been inaccurate in short and intermediate stuff isn't too surprising to me because when you watch him play, yeah, he's missing on a lot of stuff short. 
and but he's still hitting the home runs. And so I, I think there's still a balance that he's trying to figure out how to strike, or at least on a consistent basis. Um, I still think that he's talented enough to, you know, kind of lead the offense to be a more efficient unit and more consistent. But the defense is talented enough. It's playing at a high enough level. I believe in what Sean McDermott's unit's doing. I think that the offense is mm-hmm. still the unit where you're like, where which Josh Allen are we going to get? Steven, Paper Tiger Bills? Uh, I wouldn't say Paper Tiger, but I feel like the bar has been raised for them where it's Super Bowl or bust. Like, if last year, if they lose a game like this, like, who cares? They're a team that's still on the rise. But now you're expected to win a Super Bowl. If you lose this, I'm willing to, you know, cross you out in pencil from the list of Super Bowl contenders because they have mm-hmm. not played well against the good teams, right. barring the Chiefs game, who I don't – the Chiefs, I don't know if they were a good team at the time they mm-hmm. beat them. I also am there where I'm like, I don't think they're a paper tiger, but I do think this is the, this is the sort of team – that would benefit from losing a game like this in that it might wake them up. Right. Yeah, and just, right. you know, like you lose to the Jags and you go to yourself, okay, well every, every really good team loses a stupid game, like whatever. We didn't have, you know, Spencer Brown, who I think Brown is, is still on the COVID-19 list. Right. So still dealing with that unavailability. Um, but whatever, when you lose to a team like the Colts, like, especially if it's like, you know, the Colts just like run it all over them. Right. Just like physically dominate the game. That can be a wake up call for a playoff team where it's like, holy smokes. Like, firstly, we got to handle our division now because us and the Patriots both have four losses. Then secondly, we have to relook at what we're doing and, and, and sharpen up some of these, these, these dull edges because otherwise we're going to meet better teams in the Colts in the playoffs and we're going to get handled. The uh, concern, though, is they come to that realization and then they realize, oh, we we're already awake and this is just who we are. Because right. it's hard to say that, the, that that's maybe why they're not playing well against certain teams when they're blowing out other bad teams. Like, if a team is sleepwalking through the, the season, you're not blowing the Jets out every time you play them. You're not blowing the Texans out like they blew the Texans out. So that would be my one concern about this mm-hmm. being the product of them, like, sleepwalking through the season after all the su- success they had last year. Uh, listen, just beat the beat the uh, beat Yeah, the Colts just beat the Colts. We, we don't got to worry about it. We I think they it. will. Yeah, I think they I will. Agree. But uh, it's, uh, it's a pretty healthy line. I want to say it's, like, a seven-point line. Uh, I don't have the sports books up right now. Uh, and to me, that's a little bit too much. I think it's close, but I think the Bills are able to get it done late. Yeah, I agreed. I think the Bills are ultimately going to win this one. Yeah, uh, and it's at Buffalo. It's seven and a half. I think the Colts might cover, backdoor cover there. But, uh, yeah, I'm taking the Bills. I like that where the home field is, is starting to matter. It's starting to get cold out. That's always my favorite time of the year. Once you get to Thanksgiving and it's like, oh, you know, the the Houston Texans are traveling to Buffalo and they've never, ever played in 20-degree weather before. It's like, yep, this is where your, uh, your A.J. Dillons, Derrick Henrys, and Jonathan Taylors of the world start to get really inconvenient to play. Uh, that's games of the week. We go now to games which need games, our second segment in which we just talk about other games in uh, more specific and pointed ways. Uh, we start, as always, with Steven canceling a team. This is a tradition in which Steven says a team is bad, and then they subsequently immediate win- immediately win their following game. Steven, please kick us off. So congratulations, Seahawks fans. You guys <laughs> are going to beat the Cardinals this week because I'm canceling the Seahawks. And I'm not just canceling the Seahawks. I'm canceling the Russell Wilson-led Seahawks. All right. I wow. I think this is the end, and I'm going to sound like an whoa, idiot for whoa. saying this. <laughs> I was not ready for this. This is not in the rundown. No, it wasn't. I just came up with this take this morning. I wrote about this <laughs> on Monday about Russell Wilson and this ill fit for the offense, and I think Sunday's game was a microcosm of the Russell Wilson effect on offenses where you can only run a certain type of offense with, with Russell Wilson. You saw... 
I mean, this is obviously unrelated, but it's kind of the same phenomenon. Russell Wilson had his finger injury. They couldn't go under center. They couldn't run their run con- concepts they like to run from under center because they don't hit at the same time as they do when you line up under center when you're in pistol. And it kind of ruined the game. They couldn't call the offense like they wanted to call it. And that's just what's happening during the season as a whole. Like they can't call the Sean McVay offense because a lot of the Sean McVay offense is built on attacking over the middle and attacking the second level of the defense. And that's just something Russell Wilson has never done in his career. He's a guy who throws to the perimeter, throws it deep. He's not going to be a guy who anticipates windows coming open over the middle. And he's not going to throw into those zones because he's, He's a conservative quarterback in that he likes to avoid interceptions. He'd rather scramble around and make a play rather than test a tight window. And that's a problem in this offense. And them hiring Shane Waldron was kind of a a compromise. After uh, Pete Carroll moved on for Brian Schottenheimer, this was the compromise. So now where do you go from here? Like you tried another offensive coordinator. This was a, a guy that Russ kind of signed off on. I don't know if it was the guy he actually wanted, and it's not working. It's actually worse off than what we saw before with Bevel and Schottenheimer. Like, where do you go from here? Maybe the place you go from here is trading him for a bunch of picks and starting over, because this is a team that probably needs to start over anyway. Now, not advocating <laughs> trading Russell Wilson. I think that's a, a last, a worst case scenario, a last ditch effort thing, but. If he wants out this offseason, I'm not sure you don't oblige him. All right. Well, uh, let's 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 roll this puppy back real quick. Uh, Kyler Murray might not play. <laughs> so we've got uh, potentially no DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins, potentially no Kyler Murray for the third consecutive week. Uh, the Cardinals are looking at their bye week after this game. And so if it's a situation where he's touch and go, you may see them shelf him just because then they get another two weeks speaking specifically of kyler who said quote last uh yesterday he's pretty close to returning from his ankle injury which obviously is not saying he's back and ready from his ankle injury so the seahawks here who are uh three and six still have like a weird opportunity to win a divisional game and at four and six not be out of the playoff race at all because they they lost they went one and two with Geno as their starter but generally their defense has played better and now they think they're getting Russell Wilson back so firstly I think that in in right now like you know in the in the very small view the Seahawks have a chance to like keep their schedule at least on life support keep their season at least on life support from the longer view I I do agree in the sense that like if this doesn't work with Russ, it's kind of a question of like, all right, where do we go from here? Like we've had Russ for a decade now and we just can't seem to get this right after being initially really successful. And that sort of frustration can lead to big time change, especially when you have like a, like a really old coach in Pete Carroll. I'm not sure how much longer Pete wants to like keep doing this, you know? Yeah. That's the point I wanted to end with. It was, I'm saying that based on the assumption that they let Pete Carroll keep running the team, mm-hmm. the better solution is obviously move on from Pete Carroll and keep the the top right. five quarterback you have. That would be the yeah. better solution. But I'm operating under the assumption that they're letting Pete Carroll make these decisions. Yeah, and as we know, uh, Russ, these are the first games he missed in his career off of the finger, and he obviously recovered from the mallet finger at a historical yet unprecedented base because he is it was heroic. Unlimited. Yeah, actually, it was a... A valiant play. This made me think of that tweet where the guy was like, "You last time you were out here, like things were different. Like, I, yeah. I don't think they should get rid of Russ. It should definitely <laughs> be Pete Carroll because the top five quarterback that you have, you don't want to be picking one in this draft, and two, you don't, you know, you don't have certainty at quarterback if you move on from him." Here's my problem with with the Russ thing, though, is I think Russ 
if he just accepted who he was as a quarterback, it, this wouldn't right. be as much of an issue. Like he is a very good quarterback. He's a top five quarterback, mm-hmm. but he's a top five quarterback who wants to be a top five quarterback in a way that he's not capable of being. You're not Drew Brees, buddy. Just give that dream up. He's a top five quarterback in the league right now. And he wants to be like a top five quarterback all time in NFL history. And it's just like, listen, right. just be what you're good at. Win some right. games. Right. And, you know, go to the Seahawks ring of honor. And that's a very odd dude. That's like top 0.01% of athletes. And like, just that's, that's good, man. You could just rock with that. Um, I had forgotten about the, it's different out here thread until you brought it back up, Kalen. And that's so perfect (laughs) for the Seahawks. If they move on from Russ, like, yeah, let's just go grab another franchise quarterback in the third round. Buddy, they ain't doing that anymore, man. But it's also the same outside of that Schottenheimer offense for Russ. It's different out here. You don't want to be in these other offenses, buddy. And yet, like, also, please, Russ, stop saying that you modeled your game after Drew Brees, because if you did, you did a horrible job at it because you play nothing like him. Oh, Russ. Uh, yeah, the Seahawks are a very fun mess to follow, especially because uh, my Philadelphia Eagles will absolutely be the team that trades for us in the event that we get there. Uh, a quick note from pro- producer Arjuna. For those keeping track at home, this is the third time Steven has canceled the Seahawks or a Seahawks-related player so far this season. So we're just going to keep that train going. Uh, next up on our dock, for games which need games, uh, I have a buying or selling for the Bengals at the Raiders, which is a weird, fun, and interesting game. Uh, the Bengals coming off of their buy are 5-4. and four. The Raiders coming off of their loss to the Chiefs are 5-4. and four. Uh, Brian Burke at ESPN, who I brought up before, always tweets out the... Um, the playoff leverage thing, right? Show what playoff likelihood is for teams if they win or lose their upcoming games. Um, both the Bengals and the Raiders right now have less than a 25% chance to make the playoffs if they lose this game. Uh, the Bengals are right around like 23. The Raiders are right around like 17. If they win this game, Raiders jump up to 33%. Bengals jump up to almost 50%. This is probably our first game this year where it's, a, it's officially like loser goes home. Like, this is it, right? You do not win this game. You're gone. So my buying or selling for this game is this. Uh, 5-14, Bengals coming off of the bye. They're both right there on the fringe. Both have really tough schedules coming up, by the way. Bengals, obviously, uh, playing in the AFC North. So they have Pittsburgh. They have Baltimore. They have Cleveland. But they also have the rest of the, the AFC West as well. They still have Los Angeles, Denver, and Kansas City all on their schedule after this game. Raiders, similar problem. Uh, they have Kansas City. They have Denver. They have the Chargers, but they also have Indy. They have Dallas. Uh, they have Cleveland as well. Both teams, big schedules. So if this is a winner goes home game or loser goes home game, buying or selling winner of this game still makes the playoff. I'm selling. I think the Bengals yeah. are going to win. And like you said, their schedule is really tough. I, I think just being the, f- I don't know if they're the fourth best team. Well, I guess they got blown out by the Browns, so you have to say they're the worst team in the division. I don't think they make the playoffs. It's hard to make the playoffs as the fourth worst team in your division. I'm buying it, too. Or, I guess, selling the idea that the winner makes the playoffs. It's just it's too difficult of a road. And I I think it would take a lot of, you know, maturity on, you know, Zach Taylor's end if he was going to guide this team through the rest of the AFC North. I think they're just too deep in a hole right now. Like, the other teams are just more mature from a coaching standpoint, leadership standpoint. A very interesting thing uh, is that the, so I talked about the Brian Burke projections. Uh, they have Kansas City, or excuse me, they have the Bengals right around like 48% to make the playoffs should they win this game. Uh, 538 has it at like 55%. There's a pretty substantial difference in terms of Cincinnati. The Raiders are still kind of viewed as a fringe team, which is funny because to me, I think the Raiders are the better team. Uh, it's just the Raiders, I feel bad for the Raiders this season just in terms of like, 
they 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 look like they had something really good and then obviously things just fell to pieces with the amount of absences that they have and like that's on those people right john gruden yeah. and rugs that's on them uh but for like raiders faithful as a whole like this looked for a second there like it was it was going to be legit and sustainable like Derek carr was playing out of his mind they just had so much upheaval that it's so tough to to sustain what they were doing on offense and then defense was always not going to be sustainable as well so they've just kind of crashed back down to earth when for like a brief plays of glory there we saw what it could look like and it looked pretty nice yeah i say what the raiders were is better than what the Bengals are now but what the raiders are yeah. now i don't know if it's better than what cincinnati is now yeah yep. that's the right way of saying it i agree all right uh our next game which needs a game is actually the game with the most playoff leverage uh for both teams this this week and that is steelers at chargers the sunday night football game uh winner of this game gets like over 80 percent chance to make the playoffs according to espn very big deal uh kaylin timeline therapy for you i can't imagine what we're about to talk about given that it's this podcast and the chargers oh oh what could it be <laughs> the greatest quarterback in the league um let's go baby so uh, you guys obviously saw it. you guys are friends with pff seth seth galino over at pro football focus he had this really good article this week the herbert guy wait wait the herbert, the herbert call him guy? by his the real herbert name <laughs> <laughs> for those who don't know seth galina uh in a pre-draft show on PFF said that he just doesn't think Herbert can play ball, like just period. And then Herbert had one offensive rookie of the year and the Chargers put out like a hype video of people doubting Herbert after he won offensive rookie of the year. And Seth Galina was very prominently featured in that video. Direct quote, he can't play in the league. Uh, and now he thinks Justin Herbert's great. So it's nice to see him turn over New Leaf. Yeah, look at that. People can change. People can grow. Um but he, you know, he's a Herbert backer at this point. And this week, he had, he his tweet uh, leaking his story. He said the Chargers have fallen the, from f- to five and four after a scorching hot four and one start. It's time to talk about the offense. Herbert's not the issue. Full stop. Offense is suppressing his talents, and it's hard to watch. And this is coming a week after uh, Stephen canceled offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi, um, and who actually gets implicated even further by Pro Football Focus. Eric Eager uh, wrote a piece where they measure how offensive schemes force defenses to change the most Lombardi's unit is tied uh with Houston's Tim Kelly for the least unique scheme in football and so mm-hmm. the point of this is being that Herbert is in his second pro season so obviously you know you're not expecting him to have everything figured out Lombardi and this and the rest of Brandon Staley staff they're obviously in their first season with uh the Chargers and Justin Herbert and co but the point being that they they have Justin Herbert man like their offense has not been predicated to his strengths. And, you know, you guys know, I, like, I see them at home every time they're at SoFi. The annoying thing about the Chargers and watching them is they rely on so much quick game and everything within the short yardage, but they're not taking chances deep. They're not necessarily being aggressive in pushing the ball deep. And I totally understand, like, the counter argument that, you know, within the structure of plays – there are definitely times where, you know, you have deep patterns, maybe one out of, you know, the four, three or four guys that are running routes, but the the other two or three, they're stopping near the first down marker. They're within, you know, 10 mm-hmm. to 15 yards. It's not deep enough. It's not an aggressive enough scheme. And so, you know, it, it's obviously super frustrating because when you look at the statistics and even when you watch Justin Herbert play, there's, I mean, statistically there might be slight regression, but he hasn't been like overwhelmingly bad or overwhelmingly great statistically. Um, but he has had the fifth most EPA loss to drops. Uh, obviously, you contribute some of that to a supporting cast. But in, in terms of 
highlighting his strengths of his, as a down, downfield passer week in and week out whenever I watch the Chargers. It's very frustrating to see that they're not being aggressive enough with him, and it makes me wonder if they're wasting a window with him or a year of development with him as a young quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, uh, from Graham Barfield over at Fantasy Points. Uh, weeks one through five, Mike Williams, deep targets per game, 3.2, which is the fourth most in the league over that stretch. From weeks six to ten, one deep target per game. That is 67th, which it was cool that they were using Mike Williams more underneath. Like, that was sick. I was like, oh, he's in the Michael Thomas role. Fun. Not at the cost of the uh, the, the be big down-the-field plays. Those are good plays. We like those. Right. Those have always worked with Mike Williams. Let's keep doing those. Uh, it, it continues to be reflected in so many little ways, and it feels like they are very much turning into the skid, where, like, every every week it feels like they just get more scared and, and, and balls out quicker, and they're just, like, trying to, like, like push this issue, and it, it just doesn't feel tenable at all. Then you look at a team like the Steelers, which, like, we got to talk about this. The Steelers are like, are, are like okay, they just tied the lines. I get that. Mason Rudolph was playing. I get that. They're like, they're like, they're good. They're a good team. They're going to make the playoffs, man. And you look at the way this, this defense is able to play in terms of uh, how aggressive they can be with their fronts, uh, how much pressure they're going to be able to generate against a Chargers offensive line that has generally underperformed this season. I know they've dealt with injury. I know Rashawn Slater looks awesome on like, PFF charting and whatnot, but the ball is getting out so fast. There's no way he's going to lose a rep anyway. And altogether, when they get blitz, like you watch that Vikings game, and yeah. they were just struggling against everything. Uh, this Steelers front, even if TJ Watt's not available, is going to cause big problems. And then they have, like, a, it's a little bit of like a no-name corner room. Like obviously, like old Joe Hayden, Cam Sutton, like you know uh, the number forty-two, the Michigan State kid. I can't remember his name. They got like it's not a bit of a no-name group, but they play really fast. And they play really physical. Like this is the sort of defense that you cannot try to nickel and dime because they're just they're just begging you to throw the ball quickly so that they can rally up, hit you, and tackle. Like that's the whole point. And I think that Steelers defensively are going to be able to carry their own team to the playoffs. I think they're going to beat the Chargers, and that's just insane that this unit is that good that they're going to be able to make a playoff run with it. Yeah, this is like the worst possible matchup for this offense. I'm not looking forward to this being a Sunday <laughs> night game where everyone's watching and tweeting about it. Like the Justin mm -hmm. Herbert takes are going to be unbearable. We got Justin Herbert to a comparisons last Sunday. I can't imagine <laughs> what we're going to get this Sunday. I'm not looking forward to it. Tua, whose ribs right now are quote good, not great. Just love. Honestly, I'm 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 doing an about face. I'm frankly I'm very in on Tua's like radical honesty in press conferences where he's they're like, how are you? And he's like. It kind of sucks. I'm not gonna lie. Like he's just like I'm, I'm not feeling good, man. Like I'm hurt a lot, and also the season sucked. Like he's not saying that or anything, but like, like but it does. Two, yes, but like that's that's <laughs> I, I very much appreciate that. That's Tua's vibe. Um, yeah, this is I think going to be another just smack your head up against the wall game for the Chargers, and they're not going away. Uh, Chargers' schedule was brutal down the stretch. Uh, they had Browns, they had Ravens, they had Patriots, they had Eagles, they had Vikings. Now they have the Steelers. It gets a little bit easier. Broncos, Bengals, Giants, Chiefs, Texans, Broncos, Raiders. So they're still very much so in the playoff hunt. And hopefully with an easier schedule, they can get there. Because I think it'd be a fun playoff team to watch. But I think the Steelers just show them out for four quarters. And that's not going to be fun to watch. I agree. Uh, Steven, must win watch. Ravens at Bears. We're putting the Ravens on must win watch. We're putting Greg Roman on must win watch. Okay. So <laughs> we, did we, yeah, we did talk about this because that was the Thursday night game, right? Yeah. yeah. We talked about so that. yeah, we talked about it. Now you, if you can't answer cover zero, you're not a real person. Uh, 
Bears off of the bye. Justin Fields had the best game of his career with the Steelers. Is this like upset watch? Lamar hasn't practiced this week. He's got an upset tummy. Like this is very much so feels like a spoiler spot. And I think this is kind of a good matchup or good test for the Ravens defense, which I think has been suspect. If the Bears continue to play offense in the ways they should play offense for Justin Fields or call plays for Justin Fields. It should just be 30 targets for whoever Anthony Averett's covering. Like, try to get Allen Robinson's big body on him. I know Allen Robinson hasn't been Allen Robinson this year. But get a big guy on Anthony Averett, isolate him, and just throw it downfield. Just lob it up all, like, 30 times. I guarantee you win this game. I think the Bears (laughs) could win this game, especially if Lamar is limited. Is that analytics? Is that like hand the ball off 25 <laughs> times and the win percentage goes to like 80%? Lob it at the guy Anthony Averett is covering 30 times. Win percentage, 1,000. 100%. That's what the Colts did. I mean, they didn't win the game, but they almost did with Carson Wentz. Yeah. Good process, bad results. Yeah. The Ravens' defense right now is just so susceptible to explosives, right? Mm-hmm. They're so oriented on the blitz and they're so oriented on man coverage and they just don't have the same players in the back end. Like Deshaun Elliott misses a tackle that Earl Thomas would make and all of a sudden what, could, what should have been a 12 yard gain is off to the races, 40 yard catch and run, right? Like Patrick Queen was supposed to be like a good run and chase linebacker who could hit and could tackle and he's just really struggling this year. All of a sudden, a, a, a run which should have just gashed you for four or five yards goes for 20, goes for 25, so it breaks into the third level. You know what the Bears' offense is just predicated on? It's explosives. It's, what, right. it's, it's all that they can be, right? It's very hard for them to nickel and dime. Uh, I think the Ravens' defensive line could take this game over just because of how bear, bad the Bears' front is. But in general, this is a really bad matchup for the Ravens. I, I'm not going to go so far as to say the Bears beat them, but if Fields plays like he did against the Steelers... Bears might win this game, which is going to be a lot of fun. Just to quantify what you're talking about, about the Ravens tackling mm-hmm. issues, they're 27th in tackling grade on PFF. And I think PFF's tackling grade is basically like how many tackles you miss. And when you're playing uh, blitz coverage and you can't tackle, bad things happen. Because yep. you only <laughs> have one guy who could tackle you <laughs> before There's nobody then, so. left. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm worried about this one uh, for the Ravens. Uh, next game. We have oh, uh, I, I owe Kalen a, a mea culpa. This is Saints at Eagles. Okay, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, we need, we need like we need like 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 sad, inspirational music in the background. Uh, I have long believed that Darius Slay should not be wearing number two because, for as cool as it looks for a corner to wear number two when you're like over thirty and not as good as you were, it kind of feels a little cringy. It kind of feels like a little bit of a midlife crisis. Uh, and while that was sound logic, I've recently seen the error of my ways, mostly because. Uh, I was raising money for Camp Catanese in Phoenix, Arizona, and Kalen donated. And I said, in exchange, I would say this on the podcast, uh, which I appreciate, Kalen. Thank you very much. Uh, Darius Slight looks great in number two. He looked awesome on the uh, the fumble return for the touchdown against the Broncos. I don't know if you saw his quote when he picked up the ball, uh, but his quote, what they asked, like, what, what were you thinking? What was going through your mind when you picked up that ball? And he said, uh, they, they only have fat guys on the field. Cause it was like third and one. And so they were in heavy personnel. They had like an extra offensive lineman. So he picks it up and like, he's running around like, like it's not like a clear scoop and score, like straight line. Like he's behind everybody, the other 10 Eagles and all 11 Broncos, but he picks it up and he starts running around like back and forth back there. Like he's a quarterback on Madden and you're like, dude, no, 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 no. And then he breaks out for that huge touchdown run. And they asked him about it. He was like, yeah, it's cause they had all the fat guys. So I knew I could, I could score it, which <laughs> sound, I mean, I'm not going to, that's that, that, but I, it makes sense. The proof's in the pudding. Uh, so shout out Darius Slight for his uh, scoop and score. He's going to have multiple defensive touchdowns this year, and he looks very, very swaggy in number two. Thank you, Kalen. He's uh, played really well. That's why I wanted yeah. you to say he's played really well. He has played, really well. Uh, played it, really well. It took him 
a bit to settle into zone. Uh, he was just such a man-heavy player in Detroit. Right. First year with Jim Schwartz wasn't too great. He's he's playing pretty good zone coverage uh, this year. And and like we talked about, zone coverage is all about chemistry. And so when you have a really, really bad back seven like the Eagles do and one good zone corner, it's tough to see the full impact of that and appreciate it. But on film, yeah, he knows what he's doing. I have a spoiler alert uh, for this game, which is Jalen Hurts related. People are very excited about the Eagles and about the Eagles offense and about Jalen Hurts. And I'm very excited about the Eagles and about the Eagles offense and about Jalen Hurts. It feels great. However, uh, just a quick, quick reality check in terms of playing the Detroit defense, the Chargers defense, and the Broncos defense in three consecutive weeks is that it makes your running game amazing. Uh, because you're not going to get any any box players at all, right? They're all going to go light in the box, and all three of those defenses have struggled mightily against the run. I think no no one of those three defenses is ranked above 27th in rushing EPA per play allowed so far this season. Now, Jalen Hurts is leading the league in drop-back EPA per play over the same stretch, and obviously, like the Chargers, the Broncos, those have been pretty solid past defenses. But as the Eagles have gone on their offensive identity discovery, right, they have in the beginning of the season, been super pass-heavy. It didn't work. They became more run-heavy down the stretch, and that's really opened up their play-action passing game. It's opened up their sprint-out passing game. They have found a a balance, a continuity, a, 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 an idea of football that is strong throughout the running game and in the passing game, the pillar around which they're building this. The Saints are the number one defense by rushing DVOA, okay? And so the the spoiler alert is really more like a spoiler question, right, which is – in the event that the Saints take away the running game, which I think should be expected, Eagles offensive line is playing well, but they still have a couple backups out there. Isaac Samuel, Brandon Brooks, both gone. They're not their, their guards are both backups right now. Uh, Miles Sanders potentially back, but they're running Sanders like Boston's got Jordan Howard. This is not like Jonathan Taylor behind the Colts line, right? I think it's expected that the Saints are going to be able to stop this running game decently well. Does the passing game hang? Can it sustain? And my my thought is no. Uh, it's not going to be as good as it was. I do not think Hertz is number one in EPA per dropback after next week. He could still be good, but the spoiler alert is that it's, the passing game is going to get worse because the running game got worse. And it's because those ideas are not separate. They are not divorced in the Eagles' offense. The growth of the passing game has been directly related to the improvement of the running game. It's worth noting the Eagles played a Dennis Allen defense last year with Jalen Hurts, and Hurts ran all over him, right? Now, this was kind of like the second game of Hertz, or I think it was the, the first start of Hertz, right? Like we didn't really know what it was going to look like. So they had that big advantage there. I think DA is going to be a lot more prepared for it this time around, but like if Hertz is, is crazy with his legs and that's how he moves the offense, that's fine. Like that's part of Hertz being a good player, but this recent surge in the passing game has elicited some Jalen Hurts is the future quarterback of the Eagles takes. And I'm fine with that because it's looked awesome. And if it stays against the saints, I'll hop in that boat. I want to see it against the saints. And I don't think that we will. I watched that Broncos game on tape, and it was some of the worst run fits I've ever seen, which really surprised me with the Vic Fangio team. It wasn't just that they were light in the box. like They were just leaving gaps unaccounted for, mm-hmm. which I know that's like the beauty of having off uh, a running quarterback because you, you, know, you force the defense to cover extra gaps. Mm-hmm. And I agree with everything Ben said about you can't isolate the passing game from the run game. And when Hurts is passing well in, a, in that type of environment – it's impressive, but it's not like a thing that's going to make me change my evaluation of him. Now, I will say going back a couple weeks now, I do think he's been playing well and he has a chance of becoming a competent starter, a high, not a high level starter, but like an above average starter. I'm just not sure that we're any closer to the point where we could say that that's likely to happen. Even after last week in which he had probably the best game of his career throwing wise that's the thing like it it definitely 
is dependent on the context of them being able to run the football because they've dramatically re- revamped at least Philadelphia has their their offense to base itself on you know Hurts's running ability especially over the last three weeks behaviorally like Jalen Hurts has not changed who he is as a passer you know in terms of being aggressive in terms of the areas of the fields that he's targeting it's just that you know they they've been able to lean on the rushing attack and be able to lean on his legs successfully enough to where he's you know being able to utilize his arm in the play action game especially but on non-play action passes he's only completed 58 percent of his throws which is like 30th among qualified passers so the thing is when he doesn't have the play action there's still a lot of room for improvement i still think the room for improvement is possible especially because you know one his arm strength continues to improve i think there's flashes of his accuracy especially downfield when you ask i agree yeah like that that's where i've been the most impressed by Hertz. And I think long term, you know, that again, like Steven said, I think that's competent level starter, especially when you have the floor of his legs, what it gives you in the offense. So I'm curious to see like what what happens with Hertz moving forward. I do think like this week uh will be, you know, the really for like where J- Jalen Hurts is at, you know, all the talk about him being a potential franchise quarterback going up against the Saints, we will have an answer for like where he's at in his development. Like has the last few weeks been real? without the run game and that being able to lean on play action against uh, Dennis Allen's defense. Yeah, the uh, non-play action dropbacks is, I think, pretty telling. But the overall goal is to get good enough hurts that you can walk into next season with hurts and, and, and hope that and believe that and earnestly tell your fan base that if he keeps getting better, then he could be a starter for us, such that you can take your first-round picks this year and fix the freaking defense. Uh, so, yes, that like, that's the thing. Is like, so long as Hurts continues to show this improvement, you can do this for another year, and it's legit, and it's not just like a waste. And that's that to me, that's the objective. I think one thing, one reason why this is such a great test for where Hurts is as a passer is Dennis Allen is able to defend the run, and I think Ben has been alluded to this earlier. He can defend the run while still throwing stuff at you on the mm-hmm. back end coverage wise. So a dominant run game isn't necessarily going to open up things as much as it would against another defense. So it's a real test for Hertz as a drop back passer. I think there, there are few players in the league whose value is as, as underappreciated as David Onyemata's is, man. Onyemata stepped into that line yeah. with Marcus Davenport and Cam Jordan. And that's just a lot of muscle, baby. It's a lot of size, some mean dudes. Yes. Uh, it, it makes like you, you watch what Allen does in the back end in terms of coverage. You're like, how is nobody else doing this? And you watch the line. You're like, uh, they don't have, they don't have these guys. Uh, Davenport also, by the way, who was a criticized first round pick has looked good these last couple weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. Our last game, which is a game is thoughts and prayers from Kalen Jones. This goes out to a game, which I just think is going to be hilarious for some reason or another. That's Packers at Vikings. Kalen, what are we looking for? Yeah, Thoughts and prayers for everyone watching this game because <laughs> You know, kind of word to Kevin Clark, like the Minnesota Vikings this year have never played a normal game. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're they're the only team in football to have a seven point lead in every single game, yet they do not have a winning record. So if that's all you need to know about the Vikings, how their season's going, um, enjoy, you know, going into this week, watching Kirk Cousins go up against the Packers defense, which is 11th in DVOA, 8th in pass DVOA. Um Three players in particular on Green Bay's defense have stood out, like Eric Stokes playing some really, really impressive ball, uh, Darnell Savage, safety Adrian Amos, who I've like been a fan of for a few years. Like he's one of my favorite defensive backs. They they affect passes a bunch. Like when you watch them play, 
they are always involved whenever the ball is thrown their direction. And a lot of times mm-hmm. they're breaking up passes. So I'm curious to see how Cousins goes up against, and really the, I guess thoughts and prayers for him, how he goes up against uh, a Green Bay defense that has been pretty damn good. Like if we're being realistic, and I think a lot of that has to do with how they've been playing on the back end. Yeah, Packers defense been one of the most impressive units in terms of improvement over the season. First couple weeks, I would have been like, hey, the Packers are screwed. Uh, and they've really settled down. Uh, Kirk is good when, you know, the, the threat the run and then throw the ball. Uh, the Packers are just not going to not gonna, they're not gonna load the box. They're not going to do it. And so this might be a 2020 Dalvin Cook takes over game. Packers are familiar with that with Mike Pettin. But if it isn't, and Kirk's got a throw on third and long, it ain't gonna be good, brother. Like this is not this is not this is not the defense you want to see that again. I I thought Halen was going in a different direction when he uh, thoughts and prayers Packers Vikings and then went with the people in attendance of the game because of the two unvaxxed <laughs> quarterbacks right uh, meeting is. up and having conversations. By the way, yeah. my editor Meg Schuster, shout out to her. She's going to this game. Thoughts and prayers to her from Kalen. <laughs> thoughts and prayers directly to Meg at this game. Wear masks, maybe two. Absolutely going to be tweeting through it. Uh, that is it for Games with Cheese Games. We now move, as always, to our favorite segment of the week. And by favorite, I mean the one that I dread for the entire week. That is Give Me a Reason, in which we take the worst games of the week. Caitlin and Steven ask me for a reason to watch it. I do my best to give them one, and then they tell me it's not good enough because all they want to hear is jokes, and usually I'm trying to be earnest. We have six games on the docket. What would we like to start with, gentlemen? Uh, let's start with a gimme for you. Uh, Washington football team at Panthers. Officially Ding, reported. ding. Yes, Officially yes, said. <laughs> At Ian Rappaport, Matt Rule has named Cam Newton the starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers against Washington football team. Revenge game, Ron Rivera. Uh, we always bring up our revenge games in this part of the show uh, from Anthony Ryan Hurdler, who doesn't know that we are mooching off of his work every single week in the event to create content. There are eight ex-Panthers on the Washington football team. Can he I try can't... to name them? You can. He can't fit all of them in the graphic, so I don't have all of them, but you can. All right, I'll do it. Curtis Samuel. Yeah. Okay, Kyle Allen. Yeah. Heineke. Wasn't Heineke yep. on the Panthers? That's okay, correct. That's yeah, three. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I'm, 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 I know I'm already like missing you're, obvious You're ones. already at the bottom of the roster, though. Like, it's most, that's mostly who it is. Okay, name, name him. How, how's Corn Elder sound to you? I, well, I, if I knew he was on Washington, I would have gotten that one. Well, yeah, but you did Quarterback from Miami. Point. Great guy. <laughs> that's, the, that's the point. Uh, little Tyler Larson. Little, uh, little right. David Mayo. Yeah. Oh, linebacker, Penn State yeah. guy, yeah. Keep pounding. Uh, and that's all the ones I can see on the These are a bunch of like special teams players I've, yeah, I've controlled exactly. in Madden on kickoffs. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it is, right? Uh, no, this is like we get Cam's officially the starter. And obviously, PJ Walker played well, um, but Walker is a, is, has a very high in turnover worthy play percentage. It was just generally kind of all over the place. Cam's a more talented player. They use him in the low red zone right away. Uh, very, very, very cool that he's back. Also, when Ron's back in, in Charlotte, which to me is an awesome narrative because that place loves him. Uh, so watch the game for the feels, man. Definitely. You get a ding. Yeah, yeah that's an easy one. All right. <laughs> five games left. What would we like? Uh, give us Lions at the Browns. All right. So uh, if you've been following, Jared Goff has an oblique injury. Uh, this was a, a, an oblique strain that he sustained during the game against the uh, Steelers. He has missed multiple practices now. Uh, he will throw at practice, and decision on starting quarterback will be made on Friday. That is from Dan Campbell literally one hour ago as we record this podcast. So you might be thinking to yourself, who is the Lions' backup quarterback? 
And if you do have that question, you need to go to our good friend, Roger Sherman. We love Roger. Uh, one of the, the funniest and most esoteric of Ringer employees who is thrilled by the presence of a young man named Tim Boyle. Tim Boyle has ne- never started an NFL game. Uh, he was the backup for three years in Green Bay, learned a lot under Aaron Rodgers per Tim Boyle, uh, and then left for the Lions for the opportunity to compete. Hopefully to, not too much. Dog. Yeah. Now, uh, the uh, – the thing about Tim Boyle that's most interesting is this, and I'll be reading directly off of Roger's uh, Twitter for you all. Uh, Tim Boyle was the starting quarterback in one of the funniest football games I've ever watched, 2-9 and nine UConn, losing to 0-11 SMU in the last game of the season. Tim Boyle was terrible in three seasons at UConn, one touchdown, 13 interceptions, 4.5 yards per attempt, minus 122 career rushing yards, and then transferred and dropped down to FCS school Eastern Kentucky and was 11 touchdowns for 13 interceptions and 6.5 yards per attempt for a team that went 4-7. and seven. Watch, and then he goes on to say, this guy has probably done something over the last four seasons to convince teams he deserves a roster spot. I'm just curious how he got his foot in the door. Uh, watch Lions-Browns <laughs> to watch, inarguably, the worst college quarterback in modern NFL history to ever start a game in the NFL. How the hell did he do that? I didn't know his stats were that bad. That's incredible. Um, the funny He's thing a- about this is only one of these starting quarterbacks got a scholarship, a D1 scholarship offer. I don't know if we can say with confidence that he got a scholarship. Was UConn handing out scholarships? Is that a thing UConn does? It, it literally must have been he was boys with Rogers. That's got to be what it was, right? Rogers liked Tim. Rogers, Jake Kumaro, Tim Boyle right. for three years. It's exactly what happened. Uh, and now Tim Boyle might start a game for the Lions over David Blau, who's their third stringer, who, like, I'm not going to go out here and say David Blau was good, but he was, like, not horrible when he had to play last right. year. Tim Boyle, baby. This guy is, like, hashtag, like, have you guys seen the Surviving Sophia scam that went around last night? No? I, saw a tw- okay. I saw a tweet about it, but I had no idea yeah. what the context yeah, was. Yeah, it's, it's basically, like, the, this woman scammed a bunch of L.A. influencers into giving her money. Um, but yeah, her, I don't, what? I mean, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. good for her. Good for Tim Boyle. That's what I'm saying. Like, so ding, yeah. ding. I like seeing scammers the make Chase their way Daniel up. Good for them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll ding it. I'll ding it. Yeah. In solidarity with Roger, we watched the game because you know Roger will be <laughs> Roger will be illegal streaming this, John, if he doesn't have it on on regular programming. He needs to watch Tim Boyle play. So shout out, Roger. Uh, four games left. What would we like? Uh, let's go Titans Texans. Okay, so I struggled with this one, right? And so I was doing doing me some googling trying to find a, a reason to watch the game, like an interesting narrative. And I literally Googled reasons to watch Texans Titans. I was like, maybe that's a thing. Uh, at Texans Wire, published this week from my now good friend Mark Lane, five reasons to keep watching the Texans. <laughs> and I opened this and I was like, please, God, yes. Here's what, here's what Mark's got. So this is, this is, this is Mark. Wait, wait, wait. can we ding and uh, buzzer Mark's five things? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I would, I would wait until you hear it because it's, it's Mark did his best. I very much appreciate Mark. I'm not putting Mark on blast, but here are the five. One, Jonathan Grenard He's the second year defensive end. He has seven sacks so far. He's been pretty good. Uh, if you get three more sacks, he'd be the first Texans defender since JJ Watt 2018 to generate double digit sacks. Eh. Right. Uh, number two, Roy Lopez. Uh, he's defensive tackle. He's a sixth-round rookie. He has one sack and two quarterback hits. Yeah, not doing it for me. <laughs> right. Nico Collins, uh, third-round rookie receiver. He's caught 15 passes for 191 yards. 
they've played nine games already. That's not impressive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's been a he's he's been he's been available for six games and has started two. Uh, Justin Reed, who's a rising free agent, is an actually legitimately yeah. good strong safety. Uh, he's one shy of tying his career high in interceptions with three. Has matched his forced fumble total with one. Has four pass breakups. Uh, if he continues to double his production, it'll be his most productive season of his career in a contract year. Justin Reed's quite good. Uh, and then fifth is just a picture of Nick Nick Casario grimacing. And it says, how valuable would the 2022 picks be? Because the Texans might get the number one overall pick. So these are Mark, who covers the Texans. Five best reasons to keep watching the Texans. Yeah, we're, buzz- we're buzzing <laughs> yeah. this game. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I like that Ben had a search Mark, for a narrative for a reason to watch this game the day after he literally wrote about the Titans. <laughs> Yeah, well, the thing is, or the like, day of. Yes, the Titans, like, it's, it's a good and interesting piece, but the. the ben, ben Solak's piece on the Titans is good and interesting per Ben Solak. <laughs> well, I mean, I very much enjoyed writing that piece. I did not, like, I enjoyed asked, reading it. Yeah, enjoyed you it. asked Riley, my editor, I, I wrote it and I DM'd him for the day. I was like, yo, this is about to go a lot longer than I told you it was going to go. So it was like, <laughs> cool. Um, but the, the, the nut graph is that, like, the Titans are in the process of figuring out how to replace Derrick Henry and they're kind of doing some cool things. I'm not sure they're the best things to do, but they're kind of cool things to do. The thing is, is that it's not interesting to see that happen against the Texans, right? It's just not, it's not interesting to watch that sausage get made when the sausage is like, how do we become barely functional having lost our best offensive player? Like, that's just like, that's cool from a football nerd perspective. It's not cool for like, there's nine one o'clock games and I'm going to watch Titans Texans perspective. Uh, three games left. Uh, uh, Kalen, did we get a, a ding or a buzz from you on that one? Oh, you, you get a ding. Hey, let's go. Shout out. Pity pity ding. Shout out Mark Lane, who got so unnecessarily put on blast 70 minutes. We're not blasting Mark. We're blasting the Texans. It's not fun football to watch. Anyway, um, give us Dolphins at Jets. Dolphins at Jets. I'm going to read my notes verbatim. Uh, Joe Flacco, Alameo. Nice start. Good start. Yeah. (laughs) I thought that was going to be it. I was going to say ding right there. And that is it. That's that's the entirety of the notes. Uh, Like, I could go for a whole, like, Robert Sala feels like he's really mismanaging the team. Jets are giving up over 45 points per game over the last four games. It's an absurd stat in terms of defensive poor play. But they're also facing the Dolphins, who are terrible on offense. Two is probably going to play. NFL.com published an article this week, which is – Tua's moment to prove he's the Dolphins franchise quarterback is now from Cameron Wolf, which like, yeah, but also if it's like beat the Joe Flacco Jets, the bar is astronomically low. Uh, It's really just like this is just a absolute comedy of of errors and foibles in terms of how to manage an NFL team with a young quarterback in Dolphins Jets. This is a complete mess and a total disaster. And of course, as all complete messes and total disasters are, uh, it is it is centered around. Joe Flacco starting a game in 2021. Watch it for the laughs. If you could promise me that the Dolphins are going to co- call cover zero 40 times again against Joe Flacco, I'm in. Why wouldn't you, right? Like, right, who, right, who, who you scares you in the receiver room that you feel like you can't cover? Uh, and then they're going to just, right, blitz the ever-living daylights out of Flacco. I'll give uh, you a ding for that. I got no idea what the Jets are doing, man. That, that's, I think, going to be a good piece to, to dive in on November, but this feels like a mess. Uh, all right, Kalen. Yeah, that was a ding for yeah, Joe Flacco, Alameo. Nice. All right. yep. <laughs> Two games left. What do we like? Jags 49ers. Okay. This is this is the shotgun approach because this is a tough one. Uh, okay, watch because Trevor Lawrence is good. 
watch because the 49ers running game is very fun and diverse. They put Debo Samuel in the backfield and they put Jeff Wilson at H back and that's a good time. Watch because George Kittle is back and he looked healthy, which is nice. Watch because it's a Niners trap game. It's a short week. They're traveling to the East Coast. Jags covered in the last two. Maybe the Jags beat the Niners. Maybe Kyle Shanahan goes nuts. That would be fun. Watch because maybe Trey Lance gets in if Jimmy Garoppolo is bad. Watch because Taven Bryan's playing good football. I was going to give you a ding until the Taven Bryan thing. Don't don't try to make Taven Bryan a thing. <laughs> Tape, but it's, it, it is hilarious to me that like in all of the Jaguars nonsense unquestionable first round bust Taven Bryan is playing like actually decently well and it's just like how like what you can't be like they developed him have you seen this coaching staff but apparently they have because he's had a nice couple he games. doesn't even does he know how to play fo- if you asked him how many downs you got in a football <laughs> game do you think he would know Jesus. he beat Quentin Nelson on a rush baby who else could say that like five other dudes in the league I'll watch the game because Trevor Lawrence is good and I wanted to talk about Trevor Lawrence I watched the first half of the uh, Colts game I was watching it before we started recording. I'm going to watch the second half after. This guy has no chance. Like, and I've, I've tweeted out this before, but even in that Colts game, he's making like amazing plays just to get the ball near his receiver, and they're not catching the ball ever. Yeah. So, yeah, watch Trevor Lawrence play before you tweet about him. Yeah, I will say real quickly, just to add on to it, uh, for our Urban, De- Urban Decay segment, as always, uh, Urban Meyer was at a press conference this week. Uh, and he was asked about the Jaguars' 18 drops, and he responded with, quote, uh, I didn't realize it was 18. That's a tough number. So firstly, <laughs> shout out Urban, just being like, we've dropped the ball 18 times? 18? That sucks. But then also, uh, Urban made the quote this week, this is week 11, by the way, of an 18-week season, uh, that he sat down in and recruited, uh, sat down in the house and recruited the three of the top college receivers right now who are going to potentially come out in the draft that's Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson both of whom are at Ohio State and Jamison Williams who was at Ohio State and has subsequently uh uh uh, transferred to Alabama so yeah shout out Urban just explicitly talking about the Jaguars draft plans in the middle of November in terms of their wide receiver room we love to see that that that's not good (laughs) it's very bad god and I'm not watching this. I'm, sorry. I'm not watching. <laughs> it's a it's a bad one. Uh, Neither am it I. Would be, That's a buzzer. <laughs> ding earlier. Uh, it would be good <laughs> for Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, but Kaylin just talked me into a buzzer. I took it back. All right. I was gonna say uh, he dinged his own reason. Yeah. He buzzed yeah. your reason. Ding because I want to fire off a Trevor Lawrence take. I respect it. If this were Lawrence versus Lance, it'd be a lot of fun. But that's not guaranteed. Right. Uh, our last game is Giants at Buccaneers, which is the Monday night football game, which means you're watching it, which means I win by default. Uh, but this from Andrew Tadinik of NorthJersey.com. Uh, the Buccaneers quarterback, that's Tom Brady, has only lost three straight games in a season once in his 22-year career. And Tom Brady is currently coming off of losses to the Saints, then they had the bye week, and then the loss to the Washington football team. So he has lost two games in a row. Uh, that drought was a four-game losing streak which was in 2002 uh, during the the seven-time Super Bowl champion's second year as the Patriots starter. So since his second year as a starter, 2002, which is 19 years ago, Brady has never lost three consecutive games, which is insane, okay? Brady has started 308 games and has only had a losing streak of at least two games 12 times has only had a losing streak of three games once in his whole career. That is bananas. He gets Daniel Jones and the Giants. 
Uh, Giants defense playing a little bit better, but Daniel Jones has also been like weirdly good against the Bucks. If you remember, his first career start was against the Bucks. They won that game. Um, and then last year they had the Bucks on the ropes. Yeah, they were up like game. 14 points. Yeah, Monday Night Football at halftime, and then Brady was able to come back. And so, on the on the chance we get a good Daniel Jones game, and on the chance that the, the Giants are a little bit healthier off the bye, and on the chance that the the, the Bucks are still struggling on defense because they have so many injuries. Watch because Brady might have a three-plus game losing streak for only the second time in his career and the first time in 19 years on Monday night. I mean, I guess we have to watch because it's Monday night football, so you get it done automatically. You can't act like that's not cool, though. That's insane. It is insane. Those are insane stats, and I'm like, I don't know how to respond to them, but they're not going to lose this game. So, I. I, if you had asked me before Sunday who they're more likely to use, lose to, I would have said the Giants. And oh, lost yeah. Washington. So, I don't know. I think that just lowers the chances of them losing this game. Right. But it's a yeah. good break. I wouldn't be surprised if it's kind of close, though. I'll give you a ding. But I, I can't believe it. It sounded so that. sad like, about it. Yeah. Because what, it's, it's not – I'm not even sad. I'm just, like, mind-blown yeah. how – you know how lucky you have to be to play 300 games and only lose three straight once and it's funny because if you go through like okay in 2012 he lost to the cardinals and the ravens and then he beat the bills 52 to 28 he threw for 340 yards and three touchdowns but then like in 2018 where he had multiple two-game losing streaks uh like they they lost the dolphins and Steelers, and then they beat the bills in a game in which he threw for 126 yards on 24 passes had one touchdown to two picks like he's had bad games in the third game and the patriots are just able to win it because they're the patriots and it's like man that's really freaking annoying uh, we had a give me a reason like three weeks ago about how Daniel Jones is one of the losingest quarterbacks with like 40 career starts. And now three weeks later, it's him facing Tom Brady, who does not lose football games. Oh, that'll do it for us here on the uh, Friday edition of the Ringer NFL show. As always, uh, Stephen and I joining Kevin Clark and Nora Princiati for the Sunday night, Monday morning recap show as we walk through everything we expected and inevitably got right uh, on week 11 of Sunday action. This upcoming week is the Thanksgiving week, so the schedule is slightly different. We will be producing and releasing this show on Wednesday. We will be joined by special guests throughout the Ringer NFL show as well, as we kind of combine a couple of shows. Nora will be joining us. We don't know exactly what she's doing just yet, but it's Nora, so it'll be funny and it'll be good. Uh, So not same time, same place. I need a new sign-off for this show, because we will be Wednesday next week for the preview show of the Thanksgiving games and the Sunday slate. Thank you, as always, to Kaylin and Steven. Thank you to our man behind the curtain. That's Chris Sutton for production on this episode, and his man behind the curtain, Arjuna Ram Gopal, for additional production supervision Wednesday for the holidays next week.